Yeah. All right. Welcome to Big Ben and K-Win on NoFilter.net. I'm K-Win. He's Big Ben, and he's Julius Thomas. You know him from Lodi, California, where he excelled at basketball with Tokai High. Led the Tigers to the sectional championship, I believe, as a senior. You also know him from Portland State, the most winningest player in college basketball history, and the NFL, Broncos, Dolphins, Jags. Julius, welcome to the show. Oh, man, it's uh, it's great to go through memory lane a little bit and think about, you know, all those things I've been, you know, fortunate to, to be a part of. But I'm so glad to be here. You guys talk a little sports, talk a little mental health life. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We always have time for people from the Bay. When I got your number, I saw the 209 area code, and I'm like, you can take the dude out of the Bay, but you can't take the Bay out of the dude. Lodi, what up? Man, you know, I people always tell me, like, what, what's the 209 area code? Where's that from? And I always tell people, man, look, I grew up in Stockton. I kept the number at college, and I'm not, I'm not getting rid of it. Like, I don't get to go home as much as I want, but, um, you know, like you said, man, I'm always going to be a Stockton dude. I, I can't take it out of me. Love it. Well, we always kick the show off with six degrees of Big Ben and K-Win. They say everyone is about six social connections away. I think you already know our social connection that made this show happen and possible. Coach Rick, a.k.a. Rick Perez, the founding father of the Bay Area Hoosiers AAU program. What were some of your fondest memories of playing basketball growing up with the Bay Area Hoosiers in the AAU circuit? Oh man, I I really appreciate Rick, man. He um, he's been very instrumental in my life. Um, you take a guy from Stockton, we don't have a lot of well-known AAU programs, and if you want to be a college basketball player, that's so important. And I'll never forget um, Rick, man, call my dad and say, "Hey, man, we would like your son to come out here and play for the Barry Hoosiers." So I'm like, "Okay, this sounds like a, a good opportunity, good idea." Uh, where do you guys practice at? He's like, we practice in San Francisco. And I'm thinking, I live in Stockton. How in the world am I going to be able to make it to San Francisco a couple times a week? And this is probably part of the life that most people don't know about, especially if you're playing AAU basketball from a town like Stockton. It's kind of isolated um, from the rest of the Bay Area. So I had two other teammates that um, – we're on my high school team and we all paid for the Bay Area Hoosiers together. So we would drive. I mean, we would get out of school at like three o'clock and hop right in the car. A lot of the time, my friend's mom, uh, Jordan Lolly, uh, his mom would take us out there and it probably takes two and a half hours to yeah. get there. Wow. And two and a half hours to go back. So from the time I'm 16 years old, I'm on the road three days a week, day, way into the night. I'm coming home at like 1130 from practice, um, but that's a commitment piece, right? That's what you have to put in sometimes. And, you know, Rick took great care of us. Uh, we had a really successful AU team. Man, we went all over the country, Texas, Indiana, Vegas, playing in some really great tournaments, played with a lot of other really good players. And um, those are really fun, fun memories for me. Uh, kind of growing up um, as an AAU basketball player, man, you're kind of on the road a lot. Yeah. What What was the biggest tournament, Julius, that you ever played in in that AAU circuit? 
there's tournaments in Vegas, like you said, but like, what's, what's the one where you looked out and you maybe saw college coaches and you're like, man, this is no, man. I think that Adidas super 64 in Vegas was uh, one of the biggest tournaments. We were Adidas team. So you got to play in that brands, like big Vegas, uh, summer, summer tournament. And that's when you're looking at like coach K Kyle Perry, um, all these well-known famous coaches just sitting right there on the side of the court. I mean, this is back, man, 2003, 2004. So you're just in these gyms that they've set up all around Vegas and you're just driving for one place, playing a game, getting an hour break in between, having a hot dog from the snack stand <laughs> and then going back and playing another game. I laugh at myself now and I'm like, how in the hell was I playing three or four basketball games a day? No stretching in between, just like sitting in the stands <laughs> waiting for the next game to happen. Um, but it's amazing what you could do when you're uh, 16, 17 years old. So I've been saying Lodi. Should I be saying Stockton? Well, yeah, I grew up in Stockton. My, my high school is in Lodi. I actually um, man, very grateful. I was able to get a transfer to go to Toke High School. Um, so Toke is in Lodi, but I grew up in Stockton. So there's always been a little bit of that confusion. I don't know. I don't really care. You know, it is my high school, but I'm from Stockton, so it, it works. All right. Well, here's the question. We always ask people that come on, who would be your NBA player comp? Think back to when you were in high school and your style and how you played. Who would be your present day NBA player comp? That's a that's an interesting one because I had a very no pun intended, interesting set of skills. I kind of defended all the positions, but I played mainly um, in the post. I was like one of the shortest post players I'm sure there's ever in Division One basketball. I'm like 6'5", <laughs> legit 6'5", playing power forward, center sometimes. Um, but I was able to switch and guard any position on the floor always did well with like filling out the stat sheet, rebounds, assists, steals, um, top, you know, five scorer on the team. If I had to average across my time spent playing in college. So I don't know. I think that who is like a small ball five that people have a lot of success with these days. I mean, I watch a lot of hoop, but I don't really see that, um, that position type very often. Maybe, I maybe, mean, Maybe Draymond. Yeah, I get ish, ish. Yeah, I mean, ish. he brings the ball up. I never brought the ball up. I was up. thinking more like KD. <laughs> no, I did not have that kind of jumper. I didn't have that kind of jumper. I would say, yeah, I mean, some like a like traditional tweener guy that's just running around the court, maybe like Sean Marion. You know, just fast break. I did really well on teams that played fast break, run lanes getting dumps, um, shooting passing lanes, defending 94 feet. Yeah, pro probably like go guys from more of that era. Okay, ton Julius. Ton of layups. <laughs> ton of, okay, this is, this is a good segue then because we want you to talk about the first time. You're 6'5", as you said. You dunked in a high school game. Do you recall who it was against? Do I recall who it was against? You know what? I, I can't say that I remember my first dunk, but I know that um, one of my favorite dunks, and this was early on, 
in high school. Maybe it was like my sophomore year. I was down playing at UC Santa Barbara. They had this big summer tournament. And I don't know how many teams, but you're like playing with your high school team. So it was like a fast break and our point guard was coming down the court and he just did one of those dishes to me. And this was back in a time when, you know, you're just fearless when you're jumping. I mean, this is, I'm trying to dunk on everybody. Like that's the kind of player I was. Like, <laughs> I'm leaving my feet immediately. And we were playing up against a team that was actually from Sacramento. I think it was Sheldon maybe. And I left the ground and I completely jumped over the guy. And when I finished, it shocked me. I was like, wait, did I just jump over somebody and bang on them in a game? <laughs> and my whole team went bananas. And it was so funny because my my cousin, um, her boyfriend at the time, knew him. So a couple months oh. later, I was up in sack and we were hooping. <laughs> and he comes in, he's like, bro, why'd you have to do me like that? So everybody fell out. <laughs> we had a good time. We just talked a lot of shit to him. But no, that was probably one of my most memorable dunks, just getting that feeling of jumping over somebody. Um, it, it was it was a beautiful moment. So if you look back at AAU or even high school basketball, who was that dude that you played against that you were like, this guy is incredible, maybe the best player I ever played against at a young age? Yeah, so, you know, playing in Stockton, playing in, like, the Central Valley, we didn't have, you know, like a ton. This is not a basketball mecca. Like, this is tried and true football country, like, that we stopped and produces football players. Um, there was a guy named Demarcus Nelson. I'm not sure if you're familiar to, with who he, he was. He went to Duke. He went to Duke, but he was the guy in high school. I mean, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, could do everything, could jump out the gym. Um, I'm pretty sure he must have played overseas for a long time, but he, he was the guy that we knew we had to play in the playoffs if we wanted to, you know, make it to the state championship, something like that. Um but, I mean, I've got to play against just everybody in the AAU circuit. But Demarcus Nelson was the local guy that was – he was a problem. All right, Julius, let's let's go into your collegiate career. Take us through the recruiting pot process and what landed you in the heart of Portland at Portland State to be a Viking over the next four years. Yeah, man, the recruiting process – and you guys are asking me questions. I'm like, man, I haven't thought about this stuff in years. No, but it's, it's great to have to reflect on it. Um, when I was coming out of, of Tokay, I wanted to sign in an early signing period. Like that was something that was so important for me. My goal, my whole life was just to get to college. People will say, what, what was your goal after that? I don't know. I, I grew up like, I'm a kid from Stockton. Just to get a college scholarship is like, that's our, that's our mountaintop. So, you know, I'm looking at schools and Santa Clara, Pepperdine, Boise State, Portland State, like a lot of these mid-majors because I'm like undersized in my position, but I could play a little bit. So, you know, I was able to get some interest there and I knew I was going to play Division One, just where. Um, so because I lived in Stockton, I just wanted to be in a big city. I wanted to be somewhere that um, felt metropolitan. And I hadn't really had that opportunity before. So uh, I didn't want to go to the East Coast. I had fairly good SAT scores. So I would get some interest from like Bucknell, Lehigh, like more of those mid-majors. Um, but I didn't want to go too far from home. And I was like, wait, Oregon's perfect. It's two hours on a flight. Um, so I went to Portland State. Uh, Tyler Gaming actually recruited me to go there. I uh, went up there on my first visit. 
landed. I was like, this place is everything is green. There's no trash. The police aren't arresting people. I think I, I think I could like it here. And I decided that you know Portland um, was a city that I wanted to live in. I had a good relationship with guys on the team. We had a lot of fun, and it turned out to be a great decision for me. So we're going to take you back to March 20th, 2008, NCAA tournament. You guys make it 16 seed, playing the one seed, Kansas, when they had Brandon Rush, Mario Chalmers, and Rush Robinson. What do you remember about the NCAA tournament and playing Kansas that year? Man, I remember Selection Sunday, um, sitting there trying to figure out where we're going to go because when you're a mid-major, you have to win conference pretty much to make it and get a tournament uh, bid. So we knew we were going. We didn't know which seed who we were going to play. I remember being in Buffalo Wild Wings, like the city's behind you. <laughs> I, I mean, as cliche as you can make it, right? Like we're pounding wings and soda like a week before the game. Um, but we flew out to, I think it was, was it Lawrence, Kansas? Or no, we were in Nebraska because they, oh the one seed, they get a pretty close yeah. um, game for them. So we're just going into this game and little, little faith that anybody else had that we would win. Most people thought, you know, you're just going to get blown out. You won't even be able to put up a fight. But um, like I said, I'm a guy from Stockton, so I'm always going to give my best shot. And I remember going into that game going, this is no new. This is nothing new for me. Not that many people were believing in me when I was in high school. People weren't believing in me when I got to college. So why would would it matter to me if people are believing in me before this NCAA tournament game? Now is just to go out there and give them a fight they can't forget and um, run into pretty much a home game for them. The stands are full, all the KU fans. And just thinking, like, they have, like, five or six players that are going to the NBA next year. All we can do is just get our respect. And for me, that was what it was about. It was about putting up enough fight for those guys leave the court that day and they go, all right, well, you know, we're the better team, but no, that they, they brought it. You guys all, you, you were only outscored by one point in the second half to that, your, your comment there. What, uh, what about that game motivated you for the next season coming up? Because you had some good returning players. You're coming back as well. So what was the dialogue after that game? Well, I think after that game, it was, you know, how do we take these experiences, not just from that game, but the whole year, right? First time going to the NCAA tournament in school history, getting to do something you dreamed about doing as a kid. And the question was, how can we do it again? How do we put the work in in the spring and the summer, come together as a team that next fall so that we can go to the NCAA tournament again? And I think it gave us a lot of confidence. You know, once you are able to come back and I used to go to the the little nightclubs. I have my little NCAA tournament tag. You know, we <laughs> thought we were so special. Um, you've got all your NCAA tournament gear all around the apartment. I mean, the couch is like probably seventy-five bucks, but you know, you've got the NCAA tournament Gatorade <laughs> bottles and stuff. Um, and these were just good times, man, because it was humble, it was real, and we came together again, man. And we decided that we were going to be a team that was uh, that really was had to be reckoned with. So four years at Portland State, two conference champions, two NCAA tournaments, and then you decided to change sports and play some football. What was behind that decision to transition to football after playing basketball for four years? Yeah, it was actually premeditated. Um, it's funny because when I tell people the story, I wanted to play football 
throughout college, I wanted to be a two-sport athlete. That was something that I was, I kind of regretted not playing football in high school. My dad was a football player. My, my family loves football. So I got to college. I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play both. So I go, I'm like there in the summer right after I graduate from high school. And I'm with um, a couple of players on the team. And I'm like, I'm going to go tell the football coach I want to play football. So I go in the football office and I'm like a freshman. I'm like, hey, I want to play receiver. And the football coach is like, I mean, we don't say no to six four, six five receivers. <laughs> and scholarship. He's like, let's do it. Um, so then I go tell the basketball coach, like, hey, you know, I'm going to go be a two-sport athlete. And he's like, no, you're not. You're a forward. <laughs> you're not going to be playing any football. And I'll never forget that shortly after that, one of the assistant football coaches, he told me, he said, hey, if you don't redshirt and you have an extra year of eligibility, you can use that to play football a fifth year if that's something you wanted to do. And I always kind of had that in the back of my mind. It's like, you know what? I think that I have a skill set that would work really good in football. I think that I got the height, the weight, the speed. Man, like if I get this opportunity, I'm going to do this when I, when I finish my basketball eligibility. And, and that's what I did. So basketball's over. Football, take us through the difference kind of conditioning-wise, how they assimilate you into the offense. Because you were all big sky that first year. So what was yeah, the, man. the conversations like that first year and how they were going to get you in the offense, get you the ball? I don't know if it started that way, man. It probably started way more <laughs> uh, grassroots than that. I, I finished basketball, conference tournament ends, and I go talk to football coach. I said, hey, I want to play football. And he says, all right, well, if you're serious, you'll come to the, the football meeting before spring football starts. So that's only two weeks. So I just played an entire basketball season. I've got two weeks to think about going out and trying to play football for the first time in close to 10 years. So I go the first day of practice, um, re-remembering how to put these pads on, asking guys for help. I'm running out to the field like, you know, I'm here to play receiver. The tight ends coach is like, hey, hey, me. Hey, you're with us. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> tight end. Uh, that's even more of a transition from basketball. I got to get my hand in the dirt. I'm going to learn how to block. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I got myself into on this one. But that was probably two of the most difficult weeks of my life, uh, to be honest. The conditioning, I thought was a joke. I'm sitting, I'm laughing, right? I'm thinking, you guys got to run like a couple gassers and your hands on your knees bent over. I'm like, this is like warm up for Hoopers. <laughs> so I'm, I'm having fun. I'm talking shit. I mean, I know a lot of the guys. We all went to college together. So I'm just running laps around everybody because I'm in hoop condition. But, you know, things got different when the pads came on and we've got like pass rush drills. Like imagine being 6'5 with no hip flexibility and all of a sudden now you're trying to pass block. I mean, the third string defensive end was like getting a sack every time. <laughs> the coaches are talking to me. They're like, hey, you got to go get leverage on the linebacker. And I'm like, coach, what's leverage? Not only do I not know scheme, I don't even know the words. And that was really humbling for me because, like you said, I wasn't the best basketball player in the world, but I earned a lot of respect as a basketball player. Most wins in school history, two NCAA tournament appearances, a couple um, Big Sky Conference, um, all team, uh, all selection team, stuff like that. Senior captain. So I knew everything. I knew the point guard's position, the shooting guard's small. I knew all five spots, and now I know nothing. Now everybody on this field knows more than me, has more experience than me. And it was really rough, man. I, I called my dad and I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know if I made the right decision. Um, but I'm gonna give it like one more week because I always had in the back of my mind, like I could go hoop overseas, you know, like all my other teammates did that. And then they finally threw me the ball. First time it was like scrub time. Coach goes, Hey, hey Julius, come here. We're gonna throw you the ball. I'm like, finally, fuck, man. It's been two weeks. I've been <laughs> blocking, hit. I want the ball. So he goes, We're gonna call a play. It's called 61 wide dragon. I'll never forget the play because it was a play that was life-changing for me. So it's a simple, most basic wide drag and wide drag. Take a 45-degree angle off the ball at five yards, hang a left, and sure enough, here comes the ball. I remember catching the ball, turning my right, there's a first backer. I just started digging, outrun the first backer. Here comes the corner, run past him. Touchdown. I think everybody on the field is kind of like, what happened? Something was broken. Don't pay no attention to that. That was like one of the last 10 plays of practice. Next day of practice, comes back. I think the coaches were like, what the fuck happened? This guy just outran everybody on defense. Everybody. So they call the same play again. Catch the ball. This time it's first to ones. Same result. Catch the ball. Outrun the first backer. Outrun the second backer. Take off. Outrun all the DBs. I'm standing in the end zone going, oh, I can do this. I can do this. I called my dad crazy. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not going to make this up. This is a true story. I called my dad. I said, dad, I just want to tell you that I'm going to the league next year. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> He's like what do you mean? Like, so like last week you called me and said, that, I was like, nah, I, I'm just, I'm not even asking you to believe me. I'm just, t- I just called because I needed somebody to tell. So we say whatever I hang up. Then I call my brother. Like who else am I going to call? I call my brother. He's playing football in, in Juco at the time. And I say, hey, Marcus, I just want to let you know, I'm going to the league next year. And he's like, dude, you just started playing football. What do you mean? I didn't ask you to believe me. I would just call and tell you. And from that point on, um, I got integrated more into the offense. Uh, they started teaching me a lot throughout the spring. And then, like you said, I was um, Big Sky first team all-conference tight end that uh, first year back to playing football since eighth grade. So 2011, you got drafted fourth round by the Denver Broncos. What did your dad and brother have to say? Oh, man, I don't know who was happier on that day, me or my dad. Uh, my dad is more diehard of a football fan than, than I am. He loves the game. He still watches football all day, every day on Sunday. Diehard Raiders fan. So it was hard for him, right? right? Like his son's becoming a Denver Bronco. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. So there's a there's some deep rivalry there, but it was it was such a, a, a great moment for me. My whole family was there to support me behind me. Um and like you said, you know, going to the Broncos, going from I mean, essentially in 13 months, going from being a four-year, pretty good basketball player to getting drafted in the fourth round. Um, that just shows the kind of things that God can do in your life. And I've I've been continually grateful for having that opportunity and then everything aligning so that I was able to take advantage of it. I got a question before you go, Ben. So walk us through that a little bit, right? Like you had the confidence that you were going to go to the league. Like, did you just absolutely kill the combine? Like, did you know that you were going to be drafted at that position like what happened during the combine yeah man so the combine it was not even supposed to happen i i got no combine invite i'm like coming from portland state no experience (laughs) but i went to the east west trying game two weeks before that 
and I was kicking ass again and finding ways to make plays in practice, just continually making plays in practice. And my agent calls me and he's like, dude, I got you in the combine. Be ready to go next week. Not that big of a deal because I'm, I'm already training. I'm already preparing for the pro day. But when you show up to the combine, number one, I'm probably the only guy there from the Big Sky Conference. It's not like, oh, there's a guy I played against. There's a guy I played against. No, it's like you walking in into the best football players in college football. These guys, first round, second round draft picks. Um, and then you're going to ask yourself, like, dang, how am I going to put a mark on what I'm doing here. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to do certain things very well, but the things that I could do well, I said, I got to kill it. So one of those things was I'm not going to drop a pass. I don't care if it's a drill. I don't care if it's warmups. No coach in those stands is going to see me drop a pass. And then I tested uh, pretty well um, on all the different athletic tests. So they were like, no, this guy's a for sure um, probably fourth round draft pick. So that's where I expected to go. Pretty well is an understatement. I think you ran a four six eight, and most of the tight ends drafted today. That's 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 fast. That's tight end one status. So yeah, I, I, I got helps. blessed, man. I got I got blessed with some uh, with some rollers, so um, <laughs> that didn't hurt. So talk to us about the days leading up to your first NFL game. What was that feeling for you? Oh man. Going into your first uh, training camp was really difficult for me because we didn't have OTAs. So, I mean, just keep stacking the shit up, right? Like, hey, here's <laughs> another big obstacle, dude. You got to overcome if you want to make a name for yourself and have a place in this new in this new league. So, I get no OTAs. So, all summer I'm out in LA and I'm just like working out and training, trying to develop my skill set so that when I get to the training camp, I'm ready to go. So. We get the call, like lockout ends like a day before training camps. Be here. Practice starts tomorrow. And then I'm getting ready for practice. And my coach comes in and goes, hey, come over here. Um, I just want to warn you, you know, we had a second round pick here last year. He had a really rough experience with Brian Dawkins. I think it really ruined his confidence uh, after that. He said, I don't know when, but Brian Dawkins is going to try to fuck you up. So just be ready for it. So then in your head, you're like, damn, my first practice in the NFL, I'm going up against Brian Dawkins all day. All right. That's that's what we got today. Right. So those first practices were rough. I didn't know the scheme. I wasn't familiar with a lot about football. I had a lot to learn about how to play football, but I was able to make a lot of plays. Built a lot of excitement about what I was going to be able to do through training camp. And I ended up starting on Monday night versus the Oakland Raiders. And, I mean, that's as full circle as it gets. Now, what jersey was the dad wearing? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. My dad wore a uh, Broncos jersey. And my grandpa wore a half Broncos, half Raiders jersey. <laughs> now, what was your welcome to the NFL moment? Welcome to the NFL moment, man. Um, I, I mean, I think my welcome to the NFL moment would have had to be my first catch in the NFL. Like, right, this is supposed to be an exciting moment. Um, is when I tore my uh, syndesmosis ligament in my ankle, and I ended up missing the next eighteen months, having to rehab to get back on the field. So it was like grind, grind, work your ass off, grind, grind. Every possible thing that needed to happen happened. 
get blessed by God to be able to do all these things. And then, bam, first catch, tear your ankle and be out for essentially one season and three quarters of a season. And that was uh, one of the more difficult moments of my life um, to have to persevere through that and to have to deal with um, self-doubt, others doubting me and um, really show people what I could be about when I got healthy. So after that, walk us through the play and situation when you scored your first NFL touchdown. Yeah, so it was missed the rest of that season, missed the next season. But now Peyton Manning's in town. He just had one year with our team. Um, I was doing really well, pretty much slated to be the tight, starting tight end, going from essentially the training room into being a starter. So we're playing on Thursday night um, versus the Baltimore Ravens. And I tell people all the time now that you know, I work in mental health and stuff like that. So you can't control nervousness. I was so nervous. I couldn't stop moving. I'm walking, I'm pacing. And the game gets delayed an hour by a rain delay. And I'm like, all right, keep going. First play of the game. I mean, Peyton told me all week, first play of the game. When you run this route, if there's too high safety, you better bend it. I got so excited. I didn't bend it. I don't remember who the safety was, but he nailed me. He hit me so hard. I had no wind left and I'm laying on the ground and I'm looking at the sideline. I'm thinking if I go to the sideline now, that'll be the end of my career. <laughs> so I take my ass back to the huddle. I can't breathe. I get down in the stands. I make it to the next play. And I'm like, all right, I got this. Then the first touchdown pass, it was like, we'd set them. We had planned to set them up. It was a fake screen, slip, tight end slip up the seam, uh, worked beautifully, balls in the air, typical Peyton Manning ball, and just writing the numbers. All you had to do is just squeeze your hands around the ball. And I'm standing there in the end zone and thinking, man, what a moment. Uh, this took a lot. It took a lot of courage. It took a lot of belief. It took a lot of resilience. And um, it was overjoyed, man. It, it felt great. I still got the ball um, hanging up on my wall in my office. Amazing. All right, here on No Filter. Uh, let me see if I can get this. We're, Ben's going to try to pull up a video. Um, and, and it doesn't have the whole title of the video. But what it does say, it's so effing easy. So take <laughs> us through this play. I believe this is a quote by uh, someone on the Denver Broncos after they scored a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, so right here, this is just how do you leverage the defense, right? And I think that that's one of the things that I did really well throughout my career. So if you notice, um, I think this was a safety. So I'm thinking we got man coverage. Um, the way that you can see that the safety comes out, there's really nobody deep. So mm -hmm. he's he's playing the fade with this outside leverage because I was doing really well, catching a lot of fade balls. So I really just wanted to make him think that the fade was coming initially. And I also wanted to create space so that when Peyton goes to throw the slant, he's got a big window to throw through. And I had heard him asking the inside linebacker for help. And he's like, if he comes in, I got him. So at the beginning of the snap, I take two hard steps outside because I want to freeze the safety. I want the linebacker to think I'm not coming inside. And it, it was easy. <laughs> you catch that exact window. There it is. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 things are easy when you do it right, you know? And when you 
got Peyton throwing you the ball, you're right. Right. That makes it that makes it a lot easier too. So I got So uh you got another video, K Win? Yeah, go ahead, keep talking, Ben. No, I I was gonna say, what do you what was that like, the dynamic with Peyton? Was was he truly a guy that could see the field and give you guidance, even even maybe away from the playbook a little bit? Kind of what he's seen opening up and maybe nuances that he could give you throughout your career? 100%. I, I say I learned the calculus of football through Peyton. Uh, one thing I say is not every football team is playing offense at the same level. Some people are in geometry. Some people are in algebra two. Some people are in calculus. And Peyton had the most complex system that I've ever played in, but I loved it. What I think made me and Peyton playing together really special. He's a super cerebral intellectual guy. And so was I. So we weren't beating people physically. We were beating them mentally. The complexity that our offense had made it very difficult on the defense to match that. And then the flexibility that they were able to have with me to be able to play in line in traditional Y, play in the backfield, play outside in either number one spots, um, play in the slot, meant that we could do anything with those same 11 players on the field. And I really had this ability to study the playbook and know everyone's spot. Like he could at any moment, like Julius, um, be the running back and pick up the protection as if the running back was standing right here. Ben, I know what I need to do. Go out there to number one, and I want you to go run the conversion route, verse four. I knew what I needed to do. And that really became probably my most fun time playing football because I'm a thinker. I love thinking, and I got to be challenged intellectually to, one, help my team, but then also to be put in so many different places. So it was always fun for me. Calculus. I like that I, I, analogy. It's, it, it's so true. I'm having some challenges. But, Ben, do you have any other questions before we transition to life after football? No. Uh, maybe just uh, what was the first playoff win like? I think the first playoff win. Man, Did you take the merch home and throw it on the couch again? Uh, yeah, no lie. No, no cap. <laughs> I for sure took that merch home, put it on the couch. Um, it's just really exciting because it's a completely different game in the playoffs. Like when they call it, we, a lot of uh, coaches call it the tournament. Once you get into that tournament, it goes up an extra notch. Like you think that, no, this is the highest it gets. No. Each playoff game goes up another notch and another notch. And to get your first playoff win um, is exciting because it's one of the few times in the NFL when you don't know next week's coming. Like, even if you're on a bad team and you're in week 17, like, you know, next week's not happening. Or to be in this place of like, we got to earn this next time to play, um, that makes it more fun. That's what being in the playoff is all about. And you know, you're going to get a team that studies you really well. Like, they've got so many times or they've got to see you play you know that that other team i hate to say it but low-key intimately you know their scheme you know what they do so now it's like how are you going to find a way to be successful and it makes it that much harder which made it that much more fun for me do you like the expanded playoff format um i think as a player you're thinking about extra games or you're thinking about more teams getting into the tournament thinking about more games on our body than there previously were in the past. But I think as a fan, it's great. Like, right, why not more teams play? Um, it makes it fun to watch. So I, I'm torn. I'm torn. 
All right, we're going to transition to life after football. Can you tell us what you're up to now? Yeah, so when I retired, I, I had a passion to want to help people. I saw that it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter how successful you are, what your job title is. That doesn't make you um, impervious to having struggles in life. And I saw so many individuals um, going through tough times. Like you're sitting around and you're thinking, man, I really hope that guy gets some help. I hope that he figures out how to make things um, make sense for him on the inside, because that's going to determine his quality of life moving forward. And I would always say is, you know, it sucks for me when you put your hand in in a huddle and you break on family. But if you know you have a family member that's struggling, like what would family do? And you want to be there to help them. When I started to really have that awareness and compassion in myself, I thought, you know, I want to do something to help people for the rest of my life. And I decided that one of the best ways to do that would be to go get my doctorate in clinical psychology. And then through that, I'm now concentrating in health psychology. So I'm currently a doctoral student at Nova Southeastern University. Um, I train at Memorial Rehabilitation Hospital on the neuropsychology unit. So um, I see people with strokes, brain injuries, cancer, diabetes, um, critical illness, car accidents, multiple gunshot wounds, and I'm there for them. Uh, help them understand uh, how their brains function cognitively, how they're doing emotionally, and I provide recommendations and education to try and help them get better in this first part of their recovery journey. So it's very meaningful work for me. Um, I'm completely blessed to be able to go to see the most wealthy, successful side of the world to people that can only afford $8 an hour to pay for their mental health and their therapy. And to get the chance to be in those two cultures around people from both sides of the spectrum, it helps me see the world in ways that um, I'm truly grateful for. Uh, you, you founded a company called Nestor Performance. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, it's actually Nestry. Nestry. Uh, tell us kind of how you came to collaborate with the other founders and really the, the birth of that company and I just signed up for the app, so when it comes out, I'll be a, a subscriber, if you would. So give us no, a that's what's up. I appreciate that story. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so Nestry so, just stands for neuro strength. Um, you don't have to spend long playing sports to realize that we're training every single part of our body besides our head. So, I'll, I mean, even football, we're, we're training our necks, but you're not doing anything from the neck up, and so there creates a ton of opportunity. And for somebody that's studying psychology and neuroscience, the first thing I think is, why aren't we doing more training for the brain? We know how important training is for our arms and our legs and our core. We know how that prevents injury and how it can help increase our performance. Why haven't we done that for the brain? So um, Dr. Tommy Shavers is a guy that I met shortly after retiring. And he said, hey, we can really teach people how to leverage this concept called neuroplasticity. And in my head, I'm thinking, neuroplasticity, what's that mean? Well, neuroplasticity just means that the neural environment or the brain can change and it can become adaptive, which means it can get better, or maladaptive, or it can get worse. But it just depends on what you're doing. So with Nestry, what we're doing is we're leveraging technology and artificial intelligence to help people leverage these tools to get better from the neck up. So to be able to make improvements in their cognition, whether that be processing speed, memory, um, 
let's see, what are some of the other domains? Um, executive function, like there's a lot of different domains that we can help people grow in now that we're able to measure it. So what we're mm-hmm. doing is we're providing assessments so people know where their brain's at. And then we're giving them customized individual tools to help them train their brain and mind. Amazing. That's unbelievable. That's great work. Julius, have, Go I, I got to put a plug out because I've been, I've been using something called Lumosity for forever. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but uh, ch- no. check it out. It's uh, it's old school, but what it does is it's just games that help with cognition and, and other things going on in the head. So uh, yeah, I'll no, become I mean, a scub. I'm... Just check out Lumosity. I do it every morning with my cup of coffee, get my brain going. No, man, um, I have heard of Lumosity and I've read a lot of the research um, that talks about com- computer assisted cognitive training games. Um, we see the potential of these technologies. And it's great to hear that somebody like you has already started to leverage those and start to put that practice into your life. I think next year we're going to take it to a little bit of a different level. And hopefully you like our immersive experience within the app. And maybe even when they come down to one of our um, sites to do some of the training on the, in the neural rooms and actually get wired up, get in the, the, the technology so that we can do a little bit more deep dive into helping you train. But no, man, the future is going to be in how do we leverage the most powerful organ in our body? Like, think mm-hmm. about what my hands and my legs have done for me in my life. Now, imagine if I would have put that same time into, into this yeah. thing. So knowing what you know now about mental health and mental wellness, what do you wish you could go back and tell your rookie self when you were with the Broncos? Man, that's a great question. Um, I wish that if I could do one thing, and I tell athletes this all the time, I wish that I would have learned to recognize emotion. I think for too long in my life, I was taught that emotion is weak and emotion is something that's gonna get in your way. But from studying science, I actually learned it's the opposite. Understanding the emotions inside of you are gonna help you better interact with your environment. You're gonna help you better understand yourself and it's gonna help you be healthier in the long run. A lot of people don't understand why they're drinking so much, gambling so much, shopping all the time, a lot of it is because that's our way of addressing the emotional deficits that we're feeling. But if you take something that's hard and you use an unhealthy coping behavior, that's how you end up across from me in the hospital. And I'm having a conversation about somebody that's having heart failure, heart disease, um, strokes, um, and other clinical and chronic illnesses. But when you do healthy things, when you're having rough emotional times, that's how you have healthy, sustained quality of life throughout the long run. And I think I've seen too many fellow athletes resort to some of these unhealthy behaviors and not get the help they need and not address what's going on inside of them. And then you start to see the behavioral things that happen or you start to see them struggle in life. And my whole mission in life is to help people reduce their struggling because that's going to make for a better world. And when we have better humans in here, it's going to be better for all of us. Wow, it's amazing work, and you get to deal with it on a daily basis. Um, what's what would you ultimately like to see the outcome for Nestre be, in terms of just you talked about is it assimilation of so much data where the outcomes that you can provide are are backed by you know science and data, and um, you know what's what's the big grandiose picture I guess for you long term? Yeah, you know what's what's the vision for Nestre? What's the vision? 
And I, I want to see ministry widely implemented. Like I think about it like I had a training room and I had a weight room in a facility for for sure since college, all the way to the end of my career. But there was not one 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 room in that building where you could go to help yourself cognitively. There was no training that we were doing from the neck up. But why is that? It's because we didn't have the tools at that time. Just like there was a point in time in sports where we didn't have weight rooms. But now we see what weight rooms can do. Now we have a weight room in every facility. So I want to see brain training, nestry brain training in every facility because this is going to help people prevent cognitive decline and help people perform at their best cognitively. I want to see Nestry standalone facilities in large markets. So individuals like you that are invested in the, the quality of life from the neck up, having an opportunity to come get some of the best brain training that you can get in the world. And when we have those places, right? Just like we have Orange Theories and Valley's Fitness and 24-Hour Fitness, I'll throw a plug, you know, for back home. Um, <laughs> we see what that can do and helping people live life better longer. And that's mm -hmm. what we, we see Nestry doing. We see Nestry coming into different markets and saying, oh, we're, we're here to help with, with that anxiety, that depression. We're here to help with the cognitive decline. We're here to help with the, the chronic pain. There's so many things we can do by addressing the brain and training it in uh, pretty new technology that I think is gonna be world changing. Yeah, it's powerful. And it's great that you're taking the time to do that and investing so much into it. You're right. Like Ben and I grew up playing sports and we would run and lift weights, but like we didn't really think about the mental aspect of sports and what can we do to strengthen our brain or strengthen like the willpower and everyone runs through tough times, but it's always yep. like, just man up, just play through it. But like, yep. there's just so much going on in the world today that I think people can learn from you and what you guys are doing. Can you tell our listeners where they can hear more about you and the company and get updates on Nestry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Nestry, healthandperformance.com. Um, Nestry, we have Instagram, we have LinkedIn. Uh, you can check me out, Julius underscore Thomas on Instagram. You can uh, look for stuff that I'm putting out on LinkedIn, just Julius Thomas. So find one of those two sources and you'll continue to see a lot about what Nestry's doing, how we're growing, how we're helping people. And just to tell you one story, I was uh, speaking to a young woman and she had been doing the Nestry training. And I asked her, I said, you know, how are you doing? You know, what was it um, that happened to you and how did Nestry, how's it helped you? And she said, you know, I was playing lacrosse and I had several concussions that really started to um, affect my ability to be the person I was. She was like, I couldn't finish a day of school. Um, I had to sit in the dark. My mood was changing. And she said, Nestor really changed my personality. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, what do you mean? Like, I wanted to hear like it changed her brain, you know? Um, but I, I could understand what she meant because she's 17 years old. And she said, you know, after doing Nestor training, my headaches and my migraines, they're now, they've been reduced so much that I feel okay to go hang out with friends. I'm not going to sit there in pain all day. Now I leave my room and my parents are happy because they get to see me more. They get to interact with me more. And it's those stories, right? You hear a story like that. And I'm like, man, I'm going to double down on this effort. I'm going to put more into what we're doing because essentially that's what it's about for me. How do we help people 
live better longer. And I know that a lot of the issues people deal with are brain and mind based and being able to help train those two areas is um, it's really meaningful work for me. Julius, uh, applaud you for everything, not just in your, your athletic career, but it seems like you're finding just a, a ton of uh, solstice in your, your after career, probably maybe even a little more so. And that story is compelling. I, I'd love to be a beta user, to be honest. If you want to. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link via email. We'll link via email. Appreciate it. And appreciate the time taking us through your career in high school. And we always like to drum up those memories. I no, appreciate it. For you. Yeah, yes, Brian Dawkins coming for you, man. That was, uh, <laughs> that was my introduction to NFL training camp. Keep that in the back of your head while you're running around out there. <laughs> but thank you guys for having me on, um, giving me an opportunity to talk about Nestry, talk about my career um, before the NFL and after the NFL as as the NFL as well. Um, And have me on anytime. You guys are great. Appreciate it. No, we have fun and we love telling stories about the West Coast and walking people through the journey of successful people like yourself. And a lot of people think the story ends after football, but it doesn't. There's just more to do and more of an impact. So thank you for coming on and thank you for sharing. And we'd love to have you on in the future. You already know, man. Hit me up. I'm West Coast through and through. You guys saw it. I still keep the same number, 209. Um, that's not changing. And um, even though I'm over here in Florida, man, I'll represent for it as well. All right. Well, our last All question, right. you, you don't have to answer it now, but um, if there's another West Coast guy that you know that would love coming on to talk about West Coast stories, think about it and let us know because we like keep spreading the world about West Coast sports. Bet. I'll shoot you a text. All right. Well, thanks again. Have a good rest of the day. Thanks, Julius.